Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to another episode of What Next. Today, our guest is unusual in that he is a professor of sports and management and comes to us from Dusseldorf, Germany. His name is Shasha Schmidt, and he does a whole bunch of things, including which we will be discussing about teaching a course at MIT, uh, updating a book about sports and technology, and a lot more. Welcome, Sasha. Yes, hi, Richard, and thanks you for your invitation. Well, it's uh, not often that we basically see a professor of sports and management who is thinking about the future of sports, the future of technology. And uh, before we go where the world is going, I'd love to know how you got to where you are today. So a little bit about your background and how you ended up in this august role. Uh, yeah, so basically what I did is I, I made my hobby my main job. and But unfortunately, I, I don't have a hobby anymore. Um, so, but in, in professional terms, I, I didn't spend my entire uh, career in, in academia, but started as a strategy consultant with McKinsey and also built up a, a startup business um, before I got into um, a, a full professorship at, uh, at VAU, Otto Beisheim School of Management here in Düsseldorf. Before McKinsey, where did you study? Oh, I, I studied uh, at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. Got it. And uh, did a bachelor's in, in Essen here in Germany and, a, and a, a postdoc at Harvard Business School. Well, you know, deeply educated and therefore ready to anticipate the future, I guess. And you had three pretty intriguing provocations and would you like to discuss them, either list them all, or we can start with the first one? Yeah, let's, let's start with the first one, so I see uh, how it goes. Uh, so my first um, uh, perspective or provocation is professional sports is a schizophrenic industry. And uh, yeah, so, so if you look from a, from a business perspective, sports is one of the most conservative industries on the planet, on the one hand side. On the other hand... Uh, sport can be used as a proving ground for uh, technology and innovation. And, uh, but that makes it also exciting, this kind of the, the, the two sides uh, of the coin. So talk to me a little bit about, A, the conservative part. Why do you believe that sports is conservative? Is it because of tradition, rules, the over, oversight organizations, or why do you believe that it's conservative? It's by design. So uh, sports is designed for long-term stability to preserve competitive balance and to avoid uh, winner-take-all dynamics. Yeah? So, so it's in the, in the roots of uh, the industry. And that is both because of tradition, the organization, and also I guess they want to make sure that all the records hold correctly, which I guess makes sense. But at the same stage, as we know only too well, both globalization as well as technology is changing it. And when you look at, including, you know, a sport like tennis, you begin to see how the equipment has changed pretty dramatically, which probably means the game has changed dramatically. So is that why you say also it's very innovative and therefore both traditional and innovative making it schizophrenic? Yeah, it is in Innovative because it, it is uh, used as a proving ground or a laboratory for, for new technologies. 
So um, you mentioned uh, tennis, um, but but if you if you look at um, people analytics, for example, so from um, today I know almost everything about a football player or a tennis player. Huh? I have his match and training data, health data, psychological data, mood data, and so on. But I don't know anything about the surgeon who will operate on me tomorrow. And so this is something uh, where you can see that that sport is far more advanced and we will see a transfer of these um, experiences uh, and, and, and skills coming to, to other areas in business. So let's talk a little bit about how sports has basically sort of changed even without sort of technology and then a little bit with technology. So one is obviously the equipment has changed over the years. Second is to the point you just made, the instrument itself that we as individuals may use with our Apple Watch is far greater when it comes down to professional sports athletes. As you mentioned, things are measured down to, you know, every drop of sweat and <laughs> every drop of blood. But at the very same stage, you have new sports. Um, and like in the United States, people are getting very upset about something called pickleball. Mm -hmm. And um, and then obviously you've got the rise of esports, which is completely new. So what is the range of all these changes from, you know, equipment to new sports to measurement? Uh, is this... Is this like different things or like how do you all compartmentalize? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's getting pretty fuzzy. And if you, if you look at the, the technology that is impacting sports, so, so we, we look it through um, a lens of three different areas. So, so one is um, physical technologies, what you mentioned, huh? all this, uh, the variables, the trackers, but also smart textiles, um, uh, up to robotics and so on, everything that, that is haptic in a way. Um, then the second is uh, information processing technologies. And this is like where we have the um, um, data analytics, where we have uh, a blockchain, quantum computing, um, um, AI, and so on. And the third category is uh, human interaction technologies, all this AR, VR, mixed reality, and Web3. And I think that that is the kind of the first structuring device that is say, okay, what kind of technology you are talking about? And then we look at three users or, or beneficiaries of that. So one is the athlete. So the athlete gets more data. So you can improve your training. You can improve your um, uh, rehabilitation. You can improve the way you, you live. Yeah. So then you have, uh, secondly, is you have the sport consumer. And also technology is impacting the sport consumer because now you, you have individualized highlight shows. Yeah, you get um, predictive uh, goal technology. Yeah, you you get way more information that 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 entertains you. And thirdly, you have the management who is holding all of that together. And if you look at, uh, we talked about advanced analytics and AI. If you look at um, the opportunities for for scouting or uh, systematic people development, uh, athlete development. Yeah, that gives you um, a whole breadth of new opportunities. So it's pretty remarkable that, as you rightfully say, for something that is honed in tradition and wants to be stable, 
it's on the cutting edge of all of these technologies and all of these technologies impact the experience or the data or the way to manage whether you're the athlete the management or obviously the spectator slash fan uh, if that makes sense now looking forward and i'll sort of allude to the fact that you've been both the editor and compiler of books on this so tell me what got you into the books and why you're revising the book because clearly there's something more coming yes yeah, so uh, the book you you are uh, you're talking about is is called 21st century sports um, how new technologies impact sports in the digital age and the idea of the book was that i basically i'm not an engineer so i i'm coming from the business side i'm a strategist by training And But I was really intrigued by the impact of technologies. And this is why I was reaching out to colleagues who really understand technology at MIT, at Cambridge, and around the globe. And was asking them, so how does your technology that you, you truly know by heart, how, how does this technology impact uh, sports in the future? And uh, yeah, so that was the idea of the book, uh, which we... Uh, published uh, in, in 2020. And uh, yeah, so so far, like more than 40,000 people have kind of bought or downloaded it. And uh, so that was also actually surprising to me. Huh? So that it, I thought it's, it's truly a niche topic, <laughs> where usually if you write a book as a professor, uh, it doesn't really um, hit the mainstream. Um, but uh, yeah, that that was kind of surprising. Well, you know, there's something in the United States, um, a very popular uh, candy called Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Mm. Um, and it's this combination of peanut butter and chocolate, which normally you would not sort of think about, but it is, and it's become, you know, very successful. And in some ways, peanut butter is very successful and chocolate is very successful and you combine those two. And the world is fixated today on technology and has always been fixated on sports. So I guess your book is like a Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's with sports and technology together, which is why it, besides, you know, your editing and your writing that it did so well. Um, but that was 2020. And now it's uh, early 2023 or during 2022. You decided to update it, which means things have changed pretty dramatically. It's just been two years. Yeah, so so if you look at um, the the impact of of COVID uh, on on our life, um, so so it's not a surprise that uh, things accelerated and also technology adoption has uh, accelerated, and we have this this whole new theme on of, uh, the metaverse, uh, Web three technologies and the impact, and so the the publisher was 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 asking me can't we do a second edition of the book? And actually that was also the reason why I was reaching out to you to get your perspective and uh, yeah, and uh, appreciate it that you are also willing to uh, contribute um, something to the second edition. Hey, if somebody gets me the opportunity to be in a book, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and so you've been fooled. So that's great. Let's talk a little bit before we go to your second provocation, all these technologies, which are clearly changing from a management, from a fan, and from an athlete perspective, 
You know, one of the things in the business world, and this is often true, not all the time true, management tends to be the most conservative. If you look at, you know, in the business world, you have clients, you've got employees, and you've got management. And management, if you think of employees as the players and clients as the spectators, uh, because they're the paying fans, then management is management. Technology has always been something that management has always been somewhat skeptical about because it changes the world order. So when you think about management of all these sports teams, how have they, have they like, how are they wrestling with this? Have they embraced this or is it like reluctantly? Yeah, it depends from, from sports to sports, but I wouldn't say that there is a, an openness um, towards uh, technological innovations across the board. And this is, so, so if you talk to a, a manager of a professional football club, for instance, here in, uh, in Europe, um, so they say, you know, the daily business is, is, is covering me. So I don't have time to think about the future or even the far ahead future. And um, so uh, you see, there are always reasons not to, to do it, but technology can help you to uh, not to define your roadmap, but to implement your roadmap. And that's, these are the discussions that I have that I said, like, look, technology is um, something that needs to come from, from the top because you need to have your own roadmap, your strategy, but you need to understand how technology can help you to, to implement that roadmap. And uh, what you see is that technologies are emerging somehow arbitrary in, in, in sports clubs, yeah, depending on which agency is offering what. But I think that is not the right way. So it should be a top-down process and a conscious decision about technologies and how they are affecting your current and your future business models. Let's move to your second provocation slash perspective or point of view. Yes. Uh, so second is uh, sports, music, film, and education are converging into an entertainment super sector. And the reason why, why I, I, I come up with that is that you see that convergence is happening. So they, uh, they all fight for, for fan or consumer attention. And um, so the new, con the new entertainment consumers, they, they, they do not think in pigeonholes, but they consume everything in a jumble. And so I would say they're, they're more like eclectic diehards who think across categories. So when they decide according to what entertains them, inspires them, helps them against the fear of missing out on something, um, they are more loyal to brands and stars than uh, to disciplines or categories. When I was growing up in the digital world, one way I tried to explain it to people was I said digital is like hydrochloric acid. It burns through things that we thought were separate. And in those days, it was like, you know, we thought about audio and video and image as different things. But once they became zeros and ones and became digital, they sort of combined and merged with each other. In the same way, that is what has happened probably between sports and music and movies. And most recently, I was reading this fascinating piece about fashion and sports, how fashion and sports have also got very integrated. So that's what you mean by they're all collapsing and coming together? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, this fusion of various things striving for the same thing at the end. Yeah, because, you know, I don't think if most people realize that when, you know, when Messi was going to be given the award at the World Cup, that the box or the package that he received it in, or when they brought that in, was branded LVMH, which is Louis Vuitton, mm -hmm. Moet Hennessy. Mm -hmm. So that gives you sort of an idea. And I think now... I think the first person who basically combined fashion and sports uh, about 25 years ago here in Chicago was Michael Jordan. Yes. Uh, and since then, it's become a big deal. Yes, and it continues. So if you if you uh, imagine the collaboration, um, Jordan or, or Nike Jordan and Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a great example for the fusion of, of fashion and sports and, and what they, what they sell to the, to the fan at the end. Yeah. And, uh, you got, you got to also accept it because in many ways, you know, fans have always worn their hearts on their sleeves, you know, to a certain extent outside of Harley Davidson, people usually basically tattoo teams on themselves less than brands and clearly combining That is a form of identity and a form of showing who you are. Fashion lines up very well with that. Can we speak a little bit about when all of these things come together? Is there a place where sometimes sports become second and that it's either the music or the electronic game that's sort of leading first? Like, uh, you know, for years and years and years, he just passed away you know, a few months ago. The biggest game on electronic arts used to be sort of John Madden's football. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, at some stage, does sports become subservient to the technology or is technology subservient to the sport? That's a hard to answer question, uh, Richard. So I believe that technology is, is changing sports in the way you, you do the sports, the, you consume the sports and you manage the sport. But at the end of the day, the sport is providing the content and the emotion that you need to feed your technology. Because without that, so what do you uh, basically transfer to your to the paying customer at the end? Right, that's true. Now, you know, speaking about these things of all these combinations coming together and collapsing, You mentioned, you know, one example, you know, was, you know, sort of St. Germain. Are there others that you think we should be thinking about or looking at or? Yeah. So, so if you look at um, Netflix or Amazon documentaries. Right. So they are done in a way uh, that you think, okay, this is not too far away what we do in education. So I see this, the kind of the fusion of entertainment and education in, in, forms of edutainment that are the new way uh, of learning. So if you, if you talk to my colleagues, if you talk to academics, some of the colleagues are afraid of, okay, so if we go towards edutainment, so isn't then the quality of the content missing or the depth and the breadth of, of the academic education that should take place? But I don't see any conflict of them. It's the, about the format that you are searching for, uh, for, or it's, it's the format you use to deliver education. Got it. Got it. That basically makes a, makes a lot of sense. So now let's move to your third provocation. 
Yes, and we we tapped into it uh, already. So my third one is due to technology and changing consumer behavior, the role of higher education institutions need to be rethought. And as you said, and I quote you here on, we are in the middle of the third connected age. And uh, so advances in VR will allow students to be teleported into the classroom or the, bring the classroom to them. And in, in this kind of environment, uh, you, 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 you have to ask yourself, so why are Amazon and Netflix not offering education courses yet? Or why is uh, uh, Harvard not cooperating with Disney to develop new courses? And since, since you said, and you're right in, the future does not fit uh, in the containers of the past. Um, so the question is, so, so what will be the role that university education will play in the future? So are we just only the examiners or the awarding body of diplomas? Or could we be platform advisors, uh, where to get the best tailored solution to fill your skill gaps? Or could we be the host of a learning community? Education, I think part of, you had also mentioned, you know, the impact of COVID. So education is one of the biggest areas, I think, that is going to be in the midst of amazing revolution to the point that you make. One is during COVID, people began to realize that in many cases, education did not work that well. Second is because of technology, to your point, you can actually now get the world's best professors pretty much everywhere. Third is as these things are coming together, there are new ways of telling stories and educating people. And as you mentioned, you know whether it's Disney or Netflix or others going in, Fourth, you're beginning to see, I think, more and more companies like Google, et cetera, providing training and certification so you can get a job at Google without necessarily having to pay, you know, $50,000 or $100,000 to get a degree somewhere else. So I think all of these are pretty revolutionary. And today's headlines as we speak, chat GPT and how universities are getting all worked up about how do you make sure that the machine doesn't answer the question. I think your point about the reinvention of education is a very correct one. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you see, you have information at your fingertips, yeah, which is converted into knowledge through these chat GPTs and, uh, let's say AI and so on. And, uh, so, so this is changing, um, also the edu education environment, uh, tremendously. And uh, so we, we, we need to, as I said, huh, we need to rethink what we are doing. You mentioned AI. And you know, as you are updating your book, I'm sure various people are going to be touching on AI and its impact on the future of sports. Could you speak a little bit about what some of those things might be? Yeah, one thing that I, I already uh, touched upon is the people analytics dimension to it. So we know basically AI in sports from two things. One is the Oakland A story with Billy Bean. And uh, they kind of uh, reinvented baseball in a way that they were looking at um, players in a, in a different way and applying different KPIs. So this is where, where it's coming from. The second is we have this um, uh, Gary Kasparov against Deep Blue. 1996. And 20 years later, we had AlphaGo 
It's a, a DeepMind uh, algorithm from, from Google against uh, Lee Sedol, so the nine times world champion in sports. And I think w what we see is the, the, the power of um, AI when it comes to not only applying uh, patterns, but really learning the rules of the game and then uh, developing an own intelligence and own intuition, as we have seen in, in AlphaGo. And I think that that shows already what, what could happen uh, in sports. So on the one hand side that you can really improve. So uh, the, as I said, the athlete, um, but also sports consumption and management, but that might also turn sports into, uh, into different fashions. So if you think about uh, applying rule changes um, and so on. No, I think that is absolutely correct. You know, looking ahead of all these three big, big things, which is the fact that we have a industry that is schizophrenic, combining both pioneering new technologies and the need for tradition and stability, this implosion or leakage between fashion and entertainment and music and sports, and third, the need for rethinking education broadly um, because of the world around us. All of those have made you sort of update your book. But in addition, you have an upcoming course, which I think you're teaching um, with others at MIT. Can you speak a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so, so that's a course. So the next intake will be um, end of February. And it will be the um, the second one overall, and it is in the, it's called transformation uh, transformational technologies applied lessons uh, from sports, and um, uh, a number of colleagues from from MIT are are teaching, and it goes back also to the book idea, so that we use sports to explain complex topics, and uh, so that we use the emotion and and passion of sports. To create a learning experience that that sticks with the uh, with the students. So this is a, a true online course where we really apply it what we understand as as edutainment. Got it, edutainment. That's perfect. You know, are you like a rare specimen sports management, or is this now more and more prevalent all over the place? Yeah, I wouldn't say that is. Um, so so if you look at uh, at it from a research perspective. So sports is uh, becoming more and more relevant also in, in management res uh, research. And this is due to the, uh, the data that is available. I still would say that it's not yet uh, part of the mainstream, um, but you see signs that it's getting more important. For instance, you see um, people that, that apply individual or team performance uh, uh, metrics and compare that also to high-performing management teams or, or individuals because you can measure performance in sports, and that is the big advantage towards management. Agreed, agreed. So I also now ask you a couple of more questions about sports and business versus the business of sports. We've obviously talked about the business of sports, which is huge and you know increasingly technological and increasingly everything coming together. But most of the people listening to this aren't lucky to be in the business of sports, nor have they managed to find a way to make their hobby and their job the same thing like you have. What are some of the learnings from sports that you sometimes believe business could learn from? 
you know, one thing is that what business can learn from sports is that uh, technology application. Um, so if you think of an, an athlete, so the main goal of every athlete, irrespective of the, the discipline, is to get better. So it's really they, they are searching for, for ways to improve their own performance. Of course, also in comparison to competitors, but it's, it's in their DNA that they want to, to get better at getting better. And I think this is something that is also applicable to, to, to any management position, to really to be willing to do your best, but also to improve and do this on a, on a continuous basis. Yes, I think continuous improvement is a big thing today in the world of management because the world is changing. And I think that plus obviously what every sports person tries to do is in addition to continuous improvement is a lot of sports people have to recover from defeat. And I think today many businesses find themselves shocked out of their minds and the ability to sort of resurrect themselves and rethink themselves is also probably very important. Yes, and, and also material uh, science uh, contributes to it because if you're an athlete and you, you use equipment and if this equipment is, is changing, so you also need to adjust to it. And so that might be that you, you either profit from the new equipment, but it could also harm you um, because maybe the new equipment is not made for, for your technique or your way of, of doing your sports. So you need to be up your toes all the time and uh, because there's no choice. You can't just say, no, no, I stick to my old equipment because then you, you're moving yourself out of the market or out of the game. And um, so I think this, uh, this willingness also to adjust your approach, the ways you have been successful in the past and to rethink and to, to change it, I think this is also something um, that, that is a good mindset for this uh, uncertain environment we, we, we are facing. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I would definitely say that since almost everybody is passionate about sports, sometimes looking at how both the sports business, but more important, maybe your favorite athlete or team is adjusting to change might be inspiring for each of us who are ourselves either individually or in the world of business having to sort of adjust to change and this getting used to the new equipment constantly iterating learning to sort of get up when defeated are i think all things that we could all learn from so with that being said is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience hmm Actually, I would be interested, although you are the, the podcast host, uh, so what is your view on the future of sports in our society? So do you think that sports will become more important in the future? Or do you see a kind of more kind of decreasing importance um, over time? So I would anticipate that it's probably going to get more and more important, and I would do that for four reasons. One is history has basically proven that sports is becoming more prevalent. In fact, it's one of the few things that keeps the television industry profitable in the United States. 
And increasingly, as the world gets access to more cost-effective and cheaper ways of spectating on sports, you know, I just saw that we now have just crossed six billion, and maybe soon getting to six point five billion smartphones. And there are eight billion people in the world. And as more and more people get access to more cost-effective broadband access, the ability to participate and view sports is a huge thing because, you know, a big part of wanting to play sports is you watch sports and you want to emulate your the people you, you like. That's number one. Number two is more and more sports, if you think broadly about sports as not necessarily just physical sports, but electronic and other kinds of sports, a lot of people who may have either because of physical handicap reasons or not being able to have the right equipment or having a football field or, uh, you know, obviously in India we play cricket on the road, um, it's much more accessible. There's a range of sports. So one is you get much more, you can see it easier, you can access a range of different sports because of electronics and et cetera. That's the second one. Third is, I think, with all of us increasingly having, and there's more and more of this equipment that allows us to measure ourselves. So even if it's our own sports, whether it is taking a walk, you know, running, lifting weights, you can now measure it. I think all of those three become extremely important. And the last one is, as you know, I believe that we're living increasingly in a connected and globalized world. And there are, I think, just three languages that cross the world. Uh, one of them happens to be film and entertainment. Uh, one of them happens to be food. And one of them happens to be sports. And clearly, as you mentioned, sports and film and entertainment are coming together. So I would expect for all of those four reasons, it's going to get more important versus less important. And so you're going to sell more books and you're going to keep having your professorial gig and i'm gonna to have to figure out how to get into sports <laughs> so i like I like the way you you phrased it so when we we talk about sports you we usually think about a competition between humans right this is what what is sports about but if you look into the future i see more and more categories emerging so so you have the conventional athlete that is not supported by technology okay and I, i'm sure that this will stay But then you might have a category of athletes supported by technology where kind of all um, uh, aids are uh, allowed. Yeah, could be interesting. And, and so what we see at Paralympics competitions, this, this is already going, uh, going that way, where you might see mo uh, more records, uh, more, more uh, spectacular performances and so on. Um, then you might have a, a third category of athletes. These are like robot athletes. Yeah. Machines fighting against each other, machines competing against each other. Um, a fourth uh, category would be uh, mental games, yeah. And you you refer to esports um, for, but we will see through uh, brain surgery and brain research, we will see disciplines that might be unthinkable from uh, today's perspective in terms of mental games, yeah, intelligence competitions, yeah, maybe supported by a machine or not. And a, a fifth um, uh, category would be uh, virtual sports. So um, you have athletes competing, but they are they are virtual. So so it's 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 more a competition between software engineers that that are uh, competing. And um, so with all these kind of new and emerging 
categories of athletes, I think we also need to rethink sports and we need to rethink organized sports. That last statement, I think, is what we should probably start with because it's quite interestingly mentally challenging, which is machines playing versus machines, software engineers versus software engineers, new kinds of sports. All these five different areas are pretty formidable. And I think this will set us up well for maybe a sequel a few months or a year from now when your book comes out. And uh, maybe we'll be in a position where a virtual you and a virtual me will do a virtual podcast. (laughs) We've had the opportunity to listen to Sasha Smith, who is a professor of sports and management um, and author and a thinker about the future of sports. We have heard about how sports as an industry is schizophrenic, balancing both stability as well as innovation and change, how the world of sports and music and fashion and entertainment are coming together and sort of imploding and merging and mixing like Reese's peanut butter pieces, I guess. And finally, how all of this is going to make people have to rethink what education is. We also got a lucky strike extra to think about reimagining sports where in the future machines might be playing with machines and software engineers versus software engineers. Thank you, Sasha. What a great summary. Thanks a lot, uh, Richard. It was was a, a big pleasure for me. What Next, a publicist group podcast produced by Prodigious UK.